Welcome to this week's episode of Pennsylvania Heroes. This week, we're talking to Brian Natale, Chief Division of Veteran Services and Programs. How's it going, Brian? Good. How are you, Nick? Good. I love that title. I, I got to get something cool like that for myself. <laughs> just, just so I can walk around and have people call me Chief. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's about taking care of people, not a cool title. Yeah. I'm really excited about today's topic because as we start a new year, it's a great reminder that with all these resolutions and, and thoughts, we should also think about our, our veterans' benefits, right? Oh, absolutely. There's no better time to talk to a service officer and have them take a look at your benefits, see if there is something that changed in your physical health, maybe is tied to your service, and we can get you an increase and your VA benefits, or maybe get you some other benefits that you weren't aware of. Just like going to the doctor every year, you know, you go, you get reassessed and, and maybe we can provide a little bit better service or additional services. Maybe is the better thing to say. And you make a great point because things change throughout the year. New legislations pass, new regulations are, are put out or taken away. Um, so it's, it's just, a great time to think about that because even though someone's health may not have changed, uh, maybe the rules have. All right. Well, Nick, that's a great point. So with the passage of the National Defense Authorization Act uh, last month, there were three new presumptive conditions added for Vietnam veterans, for those that served in country. And they are Parkinsonism. So Parkinson-like symptoms before you're diagnosed with full-blown Parkinson's disease, you develop the symptoms, and those symptoms now are associated with exposure to Agent Orange. Bladder cancer and hypothyroidism as well. So like you said, the, sometimes the laws change. Uh, the, that's a great example of that. And there's still fights ongoing. I know I've heard so much about the um, burn pit regulations coming through uh, and then other um, other related issues coming out of the global war on terrorism and, and things. So, yeah, it's just it's always changing. You never know what's going to pass. Right. And one thing that I would really like to make sure we get out to our listeners is that, yes, there are presumptive disabilities. So like the three that I just discussed, there are also uh, Kip Lejeune water. There's water contamination. There are a list of diseases that are presumptive to that exposure. The Agent Orange presumptives. There's presumptives for uh, prisoners of war. Uh, the burn pit, the global war on terror, uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm. There's there's always seems to be a list of things that are presumed connected. And that's makes life easy to get a veteran a benefit because if they have the uh, service at the right times and places to be included in that presumptive category, then we just need to put them there and honorable service, you know, with their DD-214, and the diagnosis, and it's a pretty easy win. But that doesn't mean that's the only way to get there. So if somebody was exposed to Agent Orange and they were 
not in country in Vietnam. That doesn't mean that they can't win the case. It just means we have to present it differently. Uh, it's, it's a little more work to win, but it can certainly still be won. And I guess something um, perhaps I didn't know. So does the MVA have their own VSOs? Absolutely. Wow. I, I we, had no idea. I, I always thought you go through DVA or the, the American Legion and, and those are all great organizations. I just, I had no idea that DMVA had their own veteran service officers. Yep. So going through the uh, DAV or the American Legion is awesome and uh, is certainly a choice. The Department of Military and Veterans Affairs, the Veterans Affairs half, also operate as a service organization. And that part is employing accredited veteran service officers. We have some that are here at Fort Indian Town Gap. We have some that are stationed at the VA Center in Philadelphia. And we have some that are stationed at the federal building out in Pittsburgh where the VA is located. I didn't realize the county directors were accredited through DMVA. What kind of training does that, or what kind of training do they get specifically? Initial training, we contract with a legal service to get them their initial accreditation. And then after that, we provide a continuing education curriculum every year. And that keeps the county director as well as the, the state employees current on changing laws and regulations and uh, new forms, all the stuff that's pertinent to doing good claims work. And most importantly, accredited veteran service officers will not charge you for their services. The accreditation law actually forbids it. So, uh, and that's a good reminder. We're here to help. Our price is very affordable. Yeah. That's a great reminder because I actually I do see people that charge for assistance putting together a packet to go to VA for disability benefits or different. Um, other filings, um, but it's a good reminder that an accredited VSO will not charge. Right. How do they get paid? I'm just curious. How do they? Well, we're state employees. Uh, so, you know, our paycheck comes from the taxpayers and, and we're beholden to make sure that we provide good service, quality service to veterans to earn that pay. Uh, the service orgs, traditional service orgs, legions, VFWs, uh, we, the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs manages a grant program, a veteran service officer outreach grant program that aids in uh, the organizations that receive funds from that, which are the American Legion, VFW, DAV, uh, Vietnam Veterans of America. Yes, all the major, all the major groups. Right. Uh, so they receive funds from that, and that helps them pay their service officers, and then their pay that would also be augmented through organizational funds. How does a veteran that is looking for a VSO differentiate be between all the organizations? For instance, if you go to the VA website, there's hundreds. So, and not saying one sure. is better than the other, but, but how are they 
different and how can a veteran make sure they're they're picking one that's the right fit for what they're looking for yeah you know, nick that's a great question um, so the commonwealth through our organization uh, the law has us responsible to keep the accounting directors of veterans affairs trained in in compliance with the regulations of veteran service officers so it may be as simple as finding one that's close to you. Uh, and, you know, you could look them up locally through the county government websites to find a service officer. It is a part of the county code that all 67 counties employ a county director of veterans affairs. The staffing of county veterans offices is just as diverse as the population uh, more rural, sparsely populated counties will typically have a smaller veterans office. Uh, a larger, more populated county may have uh, three or four people in the office to assist veterans. So, you know, the offices are as diverse as our population is. The other way that one may choose a service officer is it's just a, a service connection. A Vietnam veteran may feel more comfortable with Vietnam veterans of America representing them. Their person may have ties to the American Legion or VFW and feel more comfortable working with them. Uh, paralyzed veterans of America, uh, somebody that's an amputee or paralyzed may feel more comfortable working with them. So it really comes down to personal preference. Everybody is trained every year. There, there are requirements to keep us current uh, with annual trainings and, and recertifications to the VA. So everybody has quality service available to veterans. Huh. That's great to keep in mind that it's personal preference, it's location, but across the board, everyone is, is very qualified and, and can help no matter which organization it is. Yeah, and Nick, I'd like to mention, too, there's approximately 200 veteran service officers that are accredited in Pennsylvania. So, you know, there's plenty of us out there uh, in all sorts of organizations and locations here to help. Right. And another way that veterans can either try to go it alone or use, it, use a, a VSO is when separating out of the military and going for health care. And this is something that infuriates me when, when I hear other veterans talk about it because they'll, they'll go and they're so used to downplaying their injuries during the military that they'll do the same thing when applying for VA health care or when, when doing their uh, exit physicals and saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, my back's a little sore, but it's not a big deal. And they're not taking advantage of the, the benefits that they're entitled to. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. So when I was in the Marine Corps, uh, there was always some senior enlisted. You're fine. Suck it up. You don't need to go to sick call. Oh, okay. You're right. Yeah, here's, some, here's some ibuprofen. Yeah, right. And <laughs> you'll be fine. Suck it up. And you do. And you, and you drive on. And you kind of learn that. And uh, so we have to relearn that we're not necessarily invincible and uh, if we're not feeling well if we need to 
get something taken care of, well, by all means, let's go and get it taken care of. As we all learn as we get older, things don't go away. We're, we're not invincible in our 50s or 60s like we were in our 20s or 30s. And as we age, uh, those those things, even if they feel like they're not a big deal when you're 27 and getting out of the military, when you get in your 30s and 40s, they can really uh, snowball. Sure. And if you've never filed that claim, you got out, you, you went back home, and you just kind of melted back into society. That, that doesn't mean that you can't go and apply for something when you're you know, 40 or 50 or, or older than that. It makes it a little tougher to put things together because you, you have to show that this has been a continuing problem since your service and that it initiated in your service. So there's a little bit more work, but it's, it's still possible. We still win those cases all the time those presumptive cases that I talked about earlier, you know, they're, they're as easy to win the day after you get out of the service or 40 years after you get out of the service. So don't be intimidated by that stuff because you didn't file a claim when you got out. Isn't the end of the road. You can always initiate a claim at any time. The closer to your separation date, the easier a lot of things are. So if you're just separating from the military, or you couldn't do anything better than talk to a VSO uh, when you got home. A lot of times you can't even get out of the service without initiating a claim. Right. But the some of the rules that are out there is that uh, the first year, the first 365 days you're out, you can tie whatever happens to you back to being service connected. So say I was out for six months and uh, you know, I got in a motorcycle accident and lost my leg because that happened within the first year. I claimed it uh, inside that year. I could get it service connected. Oh, wow. So, you know, that uh, a lot of people don't know, what's available when they get out and you know five or ten years down the road they they get in touch with somebody and well can i get that backdated or unfortunately most of the time the answer is no right Uh, so healthcare has a lot of stuff available if you're service connected Less than 50%, they pay for what is related to your service-connected disabilities. So if you have four or five, ten disabilities, then those are covered uh, for treatment. If those all add up to be 50% or more, then the VA is going to give you health care for all your ailments. You mentioned about 50% is that Mm -hmm. magic number. Is that, though... The, the goofy VA math where it's not like 10 plus 10 plus 10 plus 10 equals, I don't know, I lost track of my tens, but <laughs> however much that would come up to 50. It's like, all right, well, if you're at 25% and then you're at 10%, that's actually only 32.5% because 
we take 10% of the remaining 75. Like, is that that 50% math? Yeah. Well, you, you had me uh, on the hook to try to explain it to you. And the last thing you said there is exactly how that VA math works, right? So it's, if you're uh, 90% disabled and you get a 10% disability, it's not 90 plus 10, it's 10% of you is not affected by disabilities. So it's 10% of that. And that's a, a, a really good distinction. I don't think a lot of people understand or they, they fight they fight that VA math logic. And Sure. And it's understandable because it just, it, it takes a little bit of working through it to understand why it's the way it is uh, and not, well, 10 plus 10 is 20. What do you mean 10 plus 10 is 19? Yeah. Yep. So. And, and I Absolutely. will say, I mean, I, I, I'm over 50% and I use the, the VA's healthcare and I have nothing but great things to say about it. Awesome. I, I go in, they've worked with me to find outpatient clinics that are close to me. If they're, um, they have that uh, patient's bill of rights. So if anytime I'm over 30 days and when they can schedule me an appointment, I can go to a civilian provider. Um, they're very open in saying, hey, this is what you're entitled to. I found it so much easier to get in contact with doctors or nurses, especially now through uh, my healthy vet. They've really worked hard to make an experience that is very much like private health care. Yeah, you're all over it, Nick. I'm so happy to hear that you've had positive experiences and uh, you really have identified what the VA has been trying to do. It's, it's not our grandfather's VA. It's not some dark halls of government healthcare. It's really been a conscious effort to make it a lot more friendly, a lot more patient centric. So yeah, there's been a lot of changes over the years with that. Yep. And like you mentioned, if you get out and it's been a little while, you can still, you have that regret, like, oh, crap, I should have, I should have filed. You can still do it. Like you mentioned, it's just, it's a little bit of work, um, but it's, it's worth it in the long run, both financially and getting quality care. Absolutely. And another common misunderstanding is, well, you know, there's only so much money in the pot. Uh, I'm not too bad, but let somebody else get it. I've been doing this for a little over 10 years now and I've never seen the VA come and say, well, you're approved, but we don't have the money to pay you. Uh, so if you, if you're approved a service connected disability, they're obligated to pay you. And that's part of the bargain. That's part right. of if, Hey, you're, you come and defend our country. We're going to take care of you. It doesn't matter what it costs. Right. If someone gets a decision from the VA that they disagree with, what's their process for appealing that? Nick, the fastest way is the decision review officer or higher level review. And the, VA, the VA will do a review of the decision that was made, the evidence that was presented, and see if there was an error. The second way is for a veteran and their VSO to go to an administrative hearing with a federal judge and present the case of why they think it should not have been denied. Uh, 
It is non-confrontational. By that, I mean the VA does not send a representative. It's presented in the fashion of a court hearing. and It can all be done online from remote locations now. The third way is in the Court of Veterans' Appeals. The VA does send uh, their attorneys to that. That is a federal court hearing in front of a judge in a courtroom. Those are the three ways that veterans can appeal unfavorable decisions. What's the likelihood that a veteran would actually win their appeal? It really depends on the evidence they have. The, if you have a representative with you, your chances are certainly much better. Every case is so different. I hate to give you a number of a rate of wins. I guess let me ask, let me ask the question in this way. Uh, do they tend to give the benefit of the doubt towards the VA or towards the veteran? The VA is obligated to give the benefit of the doubt to the veteran. Appeals have been working a lot faster, but with the COVID-19 pandemic, we were used to being in a room with a judge or, and having a hearing or being somewhere in person. So they had to redesign how that works too. And they've been using Skype as a platform to give veterans their hearing with a judge without having to go to a common place. And it's been working out really well. And what's that average time frame now for, for an appeal to go through and, and be heard and then get a decision? Uh, they publish about 120 days is, is what they're trying to get everything working through. And if someone used a VSO, let's say for their initial submittal, do they have to use that same VSO for the, the appeal? Well, so VSO can have two meanings. So it could be veteran service officer and veteran service organization. Uh, once an appeal gets certified to an administrative law judge, then you have to stick with that service organization. Okay. Not necessarily the individual that's employed by that organization. Uh, if it stays at the decision review officer level, uh, you can move around a little more freely with that. To select a different organization to represent you, it's as simple as following the same piece of paper that you did to select the original uh, representation. It's a form 21-22. And just doing a new one overlays the original one and that's your new representative. But that stuff all works on an organizational level. So if you signed up to have DMVA represent you, the organization is the representative and we, anybody that's employed by them could represent you. So that there are a lot of categories that require priority processing. So a, a veteran may be concerned about the timeline. Maybe they have an opportunity to, again, get, get prioritized. What are some examples of, of those? Well, uh, if a veteran has the Medal of Honor, uh, that would prioritize them. Somebody with a terminal illness, uh, financial hardship, uh, somebody that is 
elderly by definition over 85. Uh, you know, there, there are people that are um, on the pension program that are in financial distress with the expense of their health care. Uh, that, that may be an example. Uh, somebody that is in hospice care, uh, we would want to get them a decision as soon as possible uh, okay. to provide care as quickly as possible for them. And I also noticed um, I'm on uh, the Purple Heart website that as of 2019, yeah, Purple Heart recipients uh, also go to the front of the line for benefits claims. So, right. And I guess this goes back to our previous, how we started, right? Now, uh, that, that was a change. Again, someone's situation may not have changed, but the rule changed. And that's why right. they should continuously check their benefits. Absolutely. What are some other things about health care that we should know about? Well, the VA hospitals have some discretionary spending for things like eyeglasses and hearing aids. So if you're a non-service connected veteran or maybe not even service connected for hearing or, or vision, you still might be able to get some additional things at the VA hospital uh, in today's space, right? The COVID vaccinations, the VA hospitals are giving those out and, you know, they're contacting all the veterans that are in their databases to try and prioritize vaccinations. So flu shots, I, I started getting healthcare simply by going and getting a flu shot every year whenever I was in my twenties. And, you know, that, essentially got me enrolled in healthcare and uh, got me a primary care physician. And I go and get a checkup every year now at the VA. Brought up a great point about flu shots because I love if, if I go into the clinic for anything, it doesn't even have to be for um, a, a yearly physical. Um, if it's within flu season, they'll offer you a flu shot and it's, it's so convenient. Yeah, Absolutely. And I've already started seeing communications about COVID vaccine. Uh, so they're following those typical priorities. But I'm, I'm kind of curious to see um, how veterans pace compared to the civilian population, just to see if the VA is going to be able to get those vaccines out because they've already got that infrastructure um, to, to get them out to the community. Yeah, there'd be a great data point to look at uh, a little further down the road and see how it compares to the vaccines getting out to the civilian population. Um, another topic I, I was hoping we could close with is paperwork. So we've talked about the importance of checking benefits yearly. We've talked about the importance of going through VA for, for health care and getting everything that um, a veteran is, um, I don't want to say owed, but entitled to. Um, but how about paperwork? Because that's really easy to get lost. And how do we secure those documents or get them back? <clears throat> well, so there's a few ways. So I assume when you're talking about paperwork and documents, you're talking about a DD-214. 
or just yeah. anything in general, medical records, sure. awards, anything that a veteran might need as they progress through life. Sure. So the number one document that we all get that's important for us to safeguard is our discharge, our DD-214. Uh, since 1995, the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs have been receiving discharges from the branches of service. If you check the boxes, you would like a copy of your discharge to go to the State Director of Veterans Affairs. We get that copy when you check that box. And we have them in a database. And uh, if you call our office, we'll give you a form to release us uh, a copy to you. If you're working with a service officer, then we'll work with them with that document. And we, if we have it in our records, we'll <clears throat> help you out. You can also go to the recorder of deeds in your county. It doesn't matter if that's where you've lived all your life or if you just moved there two years ago and you've been out of the military for 30 years. You can go and get it recorded for free. Oh, wow. Uh, either, either mode, nobody can come and tell you that, uh, hey, I want to know about Brian's discharge i want a copy of it well not with it's not a public record it's and then the the other part of those documents that you had mentioned right the medical records the maybe a copy of your personnel file i would keep those in a safe a firebox with all those other important things like your mortgage uh, family heirlooms i would protect those unfortunately dmva or the county's don't provide a service to record those. I remember when I got out of the military, um, we had the option and I did it of uh, letting the VA hold on to my medical records. And I was really scared. Um, but then sure. I was in a, I was in a, a, a doctor's appointment and I could see that they digitized them all and they were scrolling through. I could, I could see injuries that I had 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so that was, I, I will say it's scary to give off your medical records to the VA, but at least my experience has been they, they, they did a good job with them. Great. What else should we know about? What's, what's important right now is, as we come into this new year? Well, I would say help us spread the word. Our biggest challenge is outreach, and that's why I'm excited about this interview today. Hopefully we can reach more people. Hopefully the people that we reach when this goes out, uh, share it with somebody else and they share it with somebody else. There are about 800,000 veterans in Pennsylvania uh, and reaching them is a challenge. You know, they're out in the rural communities. They're packed on top of each other in the cities uh, and getting good word out is, is just so tough. That's what I hope we get from this. I completely agree with you. There, there are so many benefits out there. And again, it's an entitlement. It's something that people have earned. They're not draining the system. It's the system was set up for helping them. Right. Well, Brian, I appreciate your time. And this was amazing information. And I also thank all of your colleagues at DMVA for the amazing work you do. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for giving us a little bit of time, Nick. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Pennsylvania Heroes. 
Please be sure to follow DMVA on their social media pages. And also please be sure to follow Pennsylvania Heroes on Facebook and Twitter. Hope you have a wonderful day.